listening to You Need to Stop Doing That, a podcast from Work Better Day and MatchPace. I'm your host, Elizabeth Knox. We are all facing a million decisions a day, big ones and little ones, and it can be overwhelming. Our quick solution is often to add more to our lives, more technology hacks, more responsibilities, more relationships. In reality, if we want to be more successful, have a greater impact, and maintain the quality relationships that we have, we need to make choices to prune away some things from our lives. Only then can our priorities have the place that they deserve. In this podcast, we explore how to stop doing something in a world where we expect ourselves and others to keep saying yes to the next thing. Hey everyone, today on the podcast, I talk with Caitlin Beatty. Caitlin is an Ohio native who now calls Brooklyn, New York home. She is an acquisitions editor for Brazos Press, which is a division of Baker Books, and she is an accomplished writer and speaker herself. Her writing has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Atlantic, Religion and Politics, and Religion News Service, among others. She's also an avid karaokeer and fan of Hot Cheetos. Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Caitlin. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. What's going on in your life these days? (laughs) Well, I I live in New York City, and as you know, we just passed through daylight savings time, the falling back. So I am getting used to the the weather being a little bit darker, and just kind of preparing for the winter um, in New York. So stocking up on good socks and finding a good <laughs> winter coat. And nice. um, yeah, beyond that, I um, I work for Brazos Press, which is a division of Baker Books, and they're based in Michigan. So I work remotely for them, doing acquisitions work, and so I'm always looking for the next great book project or author and have been able to line up about 12 projects in the year that I've been there. So um, getting ready to travel some to meet with authors and um, attend a conference where a lot of our potential authors will be, but yeah, it's been interesting work. Um, So, and it's, I I get to travel to San Diego, so that'll be a nice break. (laughs) Yeah, that will be a nice break from the approaching New York winter Yes, um, in the early evenings. Do you have kind of, in your mind, a sketch of an ideal author? I do. So for Brazos, we publish a lot of academics who want to write for a broader audience, more of a, we say, kind of thoughtful trade. Mm-hmm. So I think a, an ideal Brazos author has a lot of intellectual rigor and and brings some scholarship or research to their project, but is also able to write in an accessible way that speaks into current events and current trends and conversations. Um, of course, it helps if they have some kind of platform or if they have published books in the past that have sold well. So, and I'm always looking for um, women and writers of color because our, I would say our current author lineup could be, could definitely be more diverse. So yeah, those are some things that come to mind. Cool. So kind of, you know, in what comes to my mind, a picture that is like my favorite professor from um, grad school who was just so engaging and he made econ, economics, like so fascinating. So somebody who like really wants to take their academic work and make it digestible Mm -hmm. for other people. Yeah. And I, based on my one economics class in undergrad, (laughs) I would say that's not always easy to do with the topic of 
economics, but it's cool that you found someone who could make it interesting and accessible. Yeah, no, definitely. I realized how fortunate I was. It totally opened my eyes to how interesting economics is, but most people don't have that opportunity. Yes. (laughs) Cool. Well, that sounds fun. And then with other guests on the podcast so far, we've talked about what other people need to stop doing. And then at the end, I've asked them for what they personally are trying to stop doing. But for our conversation, I want to reverse it. And we're going to talk about what you're trying to stop doing first. So what recent personal experiences have led you to stop doing something that has kind of been a habit for you? So I would say a, a general habit in my professional career as an editor and a writer with some measure of, of platform in the Christian publishing world is simply to say yes to a lot of asks that come my way. Um, specifically around book endorsements. So when an author is getting ready to launch a book project, one of the steps is to seek endorsements, little the little blurbs that you see on the back of books um, from people who are who have some kind of name recognition or who are trusted. And at this point, I probably on average get two to three uh, book endorsement requests a week. And it is one of my priorities to say, if I'm going to endorse a book, I have to actually read the book. (laughs) You would be surprised how many people offer endorsements of a book without having actually read it. But unfortunately, that means that I just simply don't have enough time to read all the books that people send my way. And so I'm really trying to say no more. And I think part of the reason I'm saying no is because I have realized that oftentimes when I say yes, I expect some kind of favor or transaction in return. Like if I endorse your book, maybe you'll do something good for my career later Mm -hmm. on. And I've had recent experiences where I had offered to support other people's work and they came back either kind of blowing me off or not treating me in a very kind way. And I've realized that I may have some complicated motives in saying yes to projects. And so I think I'm, I'm just wanting to be more careful about what and who I say yes to and what I end up uh, publicly supporting. Yeah. Like my mind is going all over that thing, but what really sticks out to me are like, like the complicated motives behind why you're saying yes. Mm -hmm. Like, have you been able to kind of parse apart what those complicated motives are? Yeah. Well, I think, most of us on some very natural base level do nice things for other people because we expect that in return. Mm -hmm. So there's an element of reciprocity. Um, I don't think that's always bad. You know, I think if your neighbor, like your next door neighbor comes to you and asks for a cup of flour and you give it to them, it's reasonable for you to think, Sometime down the road, I could go and ask them for a cup of sugar and that would be like good, healthy reciprocity. I think it gets complicated when we're talking about professional projects and when we're talking about friendships and how relational some of these dynamics are. Um, I think, you know, I'm a person of Christian faith and in our faith community, it's understood that you should support other people. You should be humble. You should not seek to promote yourself over others, but you should really champion other people and seek to serve people. 
And part of what that creates, I think, in a lot of Christian communities is an inability to say no for fear that it seems unchristian or uncaring or that's not what Jesus would do or things like that. Mm-hmm. And then when you add in the gender dynamic, I think it's pretty common knowledge that I believe that women are socialized to say yes to more than they should say yes to because mm-hmm. they're afraid of being perceived as uh, rude or selfish or brusque or just not being nice women. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think if you were to sit down and talk with a lot of women in the workplace, they would say, yeah, I end up saying yes to a lot more than I, than I should have. I maybe bit off more than I could chew in terms of time and energy. And now I really need to pull back because I've overextended myself and maybe I've even gotten hurt or um, not been treated well in the process. Yeah, I know. Have you heard of the term office housekeeping? No, but I'm sure maybe I've done it at some point. (laughs) Yeah, so that it's women are more prone to volunteer for like the housekeeping type uh, parts of an office. So they bake birthday mm. cakes for people. They don't mind emptying the dishwasher or they might mind it, but they still do but they it. They will still do it. Yeah. They feel this sense of responsibility to the collective that mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like men feel as strongly. Um, yes. And so I think, and you know, I think we, whether it's from conditioning or from whatever, but we end up volunteering. It's not even like sometimes people ask us to do those things, but then also we volunteer for administrative functions. Like, oh, I'll be the note taker, no problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it kind of puts us in that position and people start to think of us as the office. I'm trying to like servant's not the right word, but something that, you know, the person who takes care of everything. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so then if you start to say no, I mm-hmm. think it's an exercise for both people to get used to it. Um, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's hard as women, it's hard as Christian women to set a boundary and then mm-hmm. other people aren't used to you setting that boundary. So then there's kind of this, you know, real or perceived kind of change in your perspective on the person. Yeah. I kind of feel like all human problems come down to boundaries <laughs> when it comes to relationships and being able to have Um, strong boundaries and being able to know what your boundaries are and being able to communicate those boundaries to other people. Mm -hmm. And I think um, either in the workplace where women feel like they need to um, be in more of a service position or kind of take on tasks that other people aren't willing to take on, or if it's in a faith context where we're just told like, you just need to serve, serve and serve and not ask for anything in return. Um, I think that boundaries are a really important way to care for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think like self, self-care, um, it might be kind of a cliched term, but I think it, it does point to a really important truth, which is that in terms of time and energy, we can't do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody needs rest. Everybody has priorities and responsibilities to family and friends and uh, faith communities to their own health. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things that we have to prioritize and we simply don't have enough time and energy to take on all of them. And that's where boundaries can be a really important way of caring for oneself. And also I think caring for others, because I think relationships are improved when boundaries are made 
really clear and people kind of have expectations set in the right place. Yeah, for real. I've heard of self-care referred to as a discipline. Like, I think the image that we have of people doing self-care, it's like some society wife, you know, going off to do, (laughs) to do like her weekly facial and massage or something. But in reality, it's carving out that space for yourself that you need so that you have kind of the emotional stability that you need or the even, you know, whether it's like grocery shopping and meal prep, you know, like that's an mm-hmm. act of self-care. Like I need to have healthy food prepared to get me through the week. Mm-hmm. So that means that's what I do on my Saturday afternoons. That is not what actually I do. I would, <laughs> I aspire <laughs> to, but yeah, um, that kind of thing that it's like, no, this is actually what allows me to serve others. And it's not mm-hmm. me being selfish. It's not me, um, you know, being high maintenance, it's me making sure, and, and it doesn't even have to be in service to others. I think there's even that, that sometimes we get Mm. pulled into this, like, I do this so I can serve others, um, Mm -hmm. or I rest so that I can work harder. And like, no, it's okay to just take care of yourself. It's okay to just rest. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be so that you can work harder. Um, yeah, I think like self-care for me, is not going to a, a spa, although that sounds, now that you mentioned it, that sounds lovely. Um, I feel like that's an indication of my age, that now all of a sudden going to a spa, I'm like, ooh, yeah, I can do that. Yes, yes, we should look into this. Um, yes. Yeah, for me, like self-care is often in the form of going to a, a concert or mm. going to see a movie or going to have like a, a nice meal um, simply for its own sake, mm-hmm. you know, not to say this is the way that I can recharge so that I can go out and do more work. It's simply, um, taking pleasure and delight in creative and yeah. kind of aesthetic pursuits that are really good for my mind and my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and from like a more spiritual perspective, I think that's what, you know, in, in the Christian tradition, we are called to love others as we love ourselves. And that implies that you love yourself. (laughs) And one of the ways that you love like a a friend or family member is you might take them out to Mm -hmm. a nice meal or go do something fun. So why wouldn't you also sometimes do that for yourself um, purely for its own sake and not because as you said, it's, it then leads to you being recharged to go serve other people. I really like that image. I've never thought about that. Like, I'm going to take myself out to dinner, like, because that's what I want to, that's what I do for people that I love, you know, like, yes. that's a really fun image that I've never, never put together. Um, last week I happened to, um, stumble on Jada Pinkett Smith's Red Table Talk mm. and the guest was Demi Moore and two of her daughters, Rumor and Tallulah. And, uh, Demi just put a book out and it's about her life and the challenges that she's faced. And, for one, it's just an image. It's just a, like such a good reminder of like, you look at people and think that their lives are perfect. And then you find out horrible things happened to them mm-hmm. when they were 15 years old, you know, or something. So like, it's just always like, you just don't know people, um, mm-hmm. you know, an image of people. So that's one thing. But then also she was talking about how her daughters seemed to have such like anxiety and self-doubt and she couldn't figure it out because it's like you were born into this Hollywood marriage you have every need you could possibly have taken care of Mm. for you what's going on and one of her daughters said you didn't love yourself how could we love ourselves 
Wow. And I was like, ah, zing, you know, Mm -hmm. like for us, for other people to really believe that they are lovable, we need to love ourselves. And for us to really be able to love other people, we need to love ourselves. So Mm, that's really good. Yeah, it was really, that really got me. But so then how do we know when we need to love ourselves, when we need to set this boundary, when we need to enforce this boundary? Because I think sometimes boundary enforcement is even more important than boundary setting. Um, Mm -hmm. Like when do you say yes? And when do you say no? So like getting back to this example of book endorsement requests, like how, how are you kind of putting some boundaries around yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. And I will say that I am learning as I go, Mm -hmm. um, that I am having to set boundaries more. And I think you're totally right that enforcing them is the real test of a good boundary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so I am, I'm definitely having to learn as I go, but one of the metrics that I use is purely, do I believe in this book? Um, I had someone reach out to me who was a, a former coworker and he just came out with a book on a topic that he's really passionate about, but I could probably care less about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I didn't necessarily see that the book needed to be out in the world, although although I'm very happy for him as a, as a fellow writer. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of an easy, that was an easy metric for me to say, does this align with my values, with what I care about, with topics that I'm passionate about? Mm -hmm. And if not, it's okay that Uh I don't need to um, necessarily say yes, just because we used to work together. Yeah. I think obviously like trusting somebody and trusting that someone is, if, if you do end up endorsing their book, they're not going to turn around and talk badly about you on Twitter. <laughs> oh <my> gosh. <laughs> um, this, this did not happen. I'm giving that okay. an example. I was uh, like, that just almost in, in some regards, it reflects worse on them because it's like, well, then why did you have them endorse you if you, but okay, not right. a real example, yes. but yeah, it would, if that were to happen. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is I, this particular season, this fall, I have actually said, that I am not endorsing any books this fall. Mm-hmm. And that has been kind of a, a rule, both for when I'm communicating with authors or publicists to say, I'm so sorry, I am just, I'm, I'm cre- I have created a blanket rule and that way it doesn't feel personal when I don't say yes. You know, yeah. it, it's really not about the author, the author's value, the, the book's value. It really just is, the boundary and the rule that I've had to set based on time and energy limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there have been a few occasions where a book project has come across my desk that I'm like, oh, this actually is a really good book. And I've had to really check to say, okay, Caitlin, you made this rule. Like, are you going to enforce it? And for the most part I have, mm-hmm. um, and it's been really freeing. I actually think that that's one of the values of having a boundary is that um, instead of having to be kind of push, pushed and pulled by different relational dynamics or dynamics of reciprocity, um, the boundary like keeps you clear on what you have agreed to say yes and no to. And you can kind of fall back on the rule, even if in a moment you're tempted to break it. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like having a rule is a, is a really helpful like goal or um, like totally. Yeah. Um, 
Someone yes. described it once to me as the difference between baking and cooking. Like mm. if you're the type of person who, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, like you're probably a better cook, but if you well, or kind of the inverse, but like, basically I think of it with social media. Like I have just, I have, my husband has my passwords, maybe every two to three weeks I ask him to log me in because I have mm. watched myself try to do moderation on social media <laughs> and I am not able to. Yeah. And so I am just like, I need to have a rule. Like mm-hmm, I can't have mm-hmm. a waffly boundary. Um, yes. Yes. And so I think if you're a person who can handle like the ebbs and the flows, but I do think even like cognitive kindness for ourselves, like now you don't even have to think about it. Like, right. You just, right. Like, I just don't, I, mm-hmm. I've even like, received emails from people and it's nice that they even respond. But, you know, like I asked someone to do this podcast and I got an obvious kind of copied and pasted email due to my other priorities with this and that, you know, like I'm working on this project and this project, I'm unable to entertain, you know, any requests. If it would still be helpful to you, you can reach out to me in like, I think it was like February of 2020. And I think I sent this like (laughs) August of 2018 or something. Okay. Um, But I was like, good for you. You know, that's like, and I wrote back to her and I said, that was a really gracious response. And she wrote back and said, thank you for your gracious response. I was like, oh, people probably aren't always gracious to that. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's like, when I see people with boundaries, I respect them. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. like, good on you. You know what you can do and what you can't. But yeah, I still have, I feel awkward setting those boundaries myself sometimes. Yeah. But I think it is, it is a service to other people because it helps them know what's important to to you and it just clearly communicates this is what I can do this is what I can't do and then that gives you like that gives the other person a way to proceed Mm -hmm. um even if it's like a flat out no it's at least clear rather than someone coming back and saying well I'm really busy right now but I might be able to squeeze you in but let's see a yeah. couple months down the road. And then you follow up and they're like, I'm still so busy. I'm sorry. Can we, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of strings you along. Whereas this person clearly had like, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. I can't do this right now. Follow yeah. up at this particular time. And that mm-hmm. helped you know how to move forward. Yeah. And this is, I'm like, oh no, I have an endorsement request sitting in my inbox that I've kind of waffled back on. So, like, <laughs> let me take a look and I'll let you know. And then mm-hmm. now, it's literally, hard. yeah, I just got a follow-up request. So then what are you doing kind of when you do want it to be transactional? Like when it is a little <laughs> bit of a, like there is something to be said. I mean, it, I, I think we are hesitant to say that like we want relationships to be transactional, but I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that is some of the game. Like mm-hmm. I do this for you, you do this for me. So how are you kind of protecting yourself when it might be a transactional decision? I don't know that I am. I think it's hard because a lot of my professional work overlaps with friendship mm. and with like the boundaries are naturally blurred between transactional and relational um, because like, thankfully, I like a lot of the people that I work with. (laughs) And I like a lot of, uh, I like a lot of the authors um, that I, that I'm able to edit. And, you know, we, we might get together for a meal and just talk about personal things. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know how to answer that. um, Except that I do know what it feels like to go into a setting that I assumed was relational 
and kind of learn after the fact that perhaps the other person was going into the setting with a more trans transactional mindset. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really hard. That's hard to, to have different expectations going into an encounter. Um, and so maybe what it comes down to is my having to come to terms with the fact that if I do a favor um, or support someone expecting a relational uh, kickback, so to speak, mm-hmm. I, I need to adjust that expectation that I should kind of start from the posture of this is purely transactional because relational fallout is more difficult to deal with emotionally Ooh. than transactional fallout. Ooh, I think. Really, yeah, totally. But I because, would never have thought of it that way. Yeah. Because relational fallout can be read as like an indictment on you and your value and whether this person likes you as a person, whereas a transactional fallout can just be, they kind of failed to hold up their end of the bargain, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has more to do with them and their own capacities. Yeah. So, I mean, that's good. Like if you can wrap your mind around it or hold that, like, even when there is an emotional pull, like, like I liked this person and I just thought that that was the natural exchange as opposed to like, I like this person, but I recognize that this is a business exchange. That's good though. Yeah. The emotional fallout versus the transactional fallout. It sounds like you've really been growing in confidence in this. Like, Mm. would you, would you say that you're feeling yourself growing in confidence? (laughs) I I think so. I think that when I think about my mindset, maybe 10 years ago in my career, so I'm, I'm 35 now, but you know, age 25, I was more or less starting out in editorial work and basically felt like I needed to say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and was incredibly overworked and stressed. I mean, you, you think that your career path will take you into like greater levels of stress as you take on more responsibilities, but I don't think that's always necessarily true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so much more stressed as a 25 year old than as a 35 year old. And yeah. I think in part it was because I was saying yes to everything and I didn't know how to come up with boundaries and enforce boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point in my career, I feel like I have a little bit more freedom. I think I know myself better. I think I know my values better. I think I know my own capacities better Mm -hmm. um, and know what I'm really passionate about and what I just don't really care about. And so I think setting good boundaries is part of um, learning about yourself and gaining self-awareness and gaining um, the ability to have other people not be happy with you if you say no. Yeah. Like, maybe at age 25, the idea that one of my coworkers or someone who had like asked me a favor was like very disappointed in me that I had said no, mm-hmm. um, would have like been crushing, you know? Right. And I feel like at this age, I'm like, yeah, they can be crushed. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, they can be disappointed. They right. cannot like me. Right. That's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, my, my, ultimate goal is not to please everybody. You can't please everybody. Mm -hmm. People pleasing can be like a horrible way to live your life. And just recognizing that it's okay for not everybody to be happy with your decisions and with the boundaries you enforce. That's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 
So yeah, I do feel like I'm gaining confidence, but the next time you see me like endorsing people <laughs> in a week, like hold me, hold me to account because I'm still definitely learning about yeah. how to do this well. As long as you went through your like checklist and recognized you were violating your rule, you know, yes. if, it, if, it, yes. if it really aligns with your values, then, mm-hmm. you know, then you've got that. I talk um, with clients often about, I think you need to have some non-negotiables in your life. And by non-negotiables, I mean like 85%, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. 85% of the time I have no meetings on Mondays. Like mm. I just know that I need one day totally clear of anybody else's priorities. This is a chance for me to really put my head down and work. And so that's a non-negotiable. I non-negotiable, okay. I mean like 85% of the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've kind of set up something similar that you generally you're just like, no, this season I'm not endorsing any books. But in your mind, you know that there's like a little bit of room um, if it's absolutely the right thing. Um, yeah. 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 But then when you do break the rule, you are doing it in a more clear-eyed, intentional way. Right. You're able, if you have the rule, when you break it, you're able to say, okay, now I am breaking the rule and this is why I'm breaking the rule. Yes. Instead yeah. of being pushed and pulled by the whims of a given moment or by pressures put on you by other people or just by the pressure of wanting to be nice and wanting to be liked. Exactly. I think I can see, I'm sure you've probably heard older women talk about like, yeah, by the time you get into your mid thirties or early forties, like you really start to just have this. And I'm like, how could I have gotten that sooner? Like, is it just maturity and age, but the sense of like, I don't care as much what other people think about me. Like, is there any way to get there other than getting there? Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that there is only because I think some of the confidence comes from just experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and having the experience of people being disappointed with you or not liking you and realizing that it's not the end of the world. Um, But I do think it's helpful to have models before us of women who know how to set boundaries, who know how to say no, who don't are not wrapped up with what other people think about them. Um, Just seeing that, Oh, I, I could be that somewhere down the road, or maybe I could incorporate some of these practices or some of this attitude into how I approach my work and my relationships. I I do think having models um, is really helpful for this. Yeah. Well, I think you've definitely served as one of those models today. Um, Thanks for sharing your hard fought wisdom. Yeah. Um, And so I really, (laughs) I don't feel like a model, but I I hope, I hope that our conversation has, has helped your, your listeners. Yeah, definitely. And not to like go back and, you know, but I'm going to go back and say, I think that's part of the modeling though. Is it like, no, I don't have it perfect, but Mm -hmm. I'm working on it because if you just see someone with like rock hard boundaries, it seems like unavailable or unapproachable. So Mm -hmm. I think you served as a model. Good. Um, So thank you for that. And so then we did this podcast kind of in reverse. Usually, like I said, we start, people are talking about something out there that people need to stop doing. And I ask them at the end, what's something that they're trying to stop doing personally, but you've already covered that. So kind of a wide open question for you. What do you think that other people should stop doing? (laughs) Well, you probably didn't know it when you came up with this question, but you've given me an opportunity to vent about one of my biggest <laughs> And hopefully like some of your listeners can resonate, which is that over the years, I have really started to resent when people reach out to me to quote unquote, um, pick my brain. <laughs> <laughs> and usually what they want to 
pick my brain about is something that I have some kind of professional expertise in. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the reason it is frustrating and kind of sets off all of my boundary alarms <laughs> is that it is a, transa a transactional act or a transactional ask that is framed as a relational ask. Mm. Ooh, and yeah. so the boundaries become blurred because you don't know whether you are interacting with this person as a client mm -hmm. <laughs> or as a friend. Mm -hmm. And obviously sometimes those things can be two things at once, but I, I think it's generally helpful to keep some of those categories separate when you're talking about professional expertise. So one of the examples that I give is that I have been, I've worked in book publishing for a couple of years. And when I made some kind of social media announcement that I was working in book publishing, I probably got four or five private Facebook messages from people who I have no, <laughs> no ongoing relationship with as, uh -huh. as is true for a lot of your quote unquote Facebook friends, yeah. <laughs> um, asking if they could send me their manuscript so that I could review it and give them feedback. And that is an incredible yeah. ask in terms of intellectual labor. I mean, that's yeah. essentially what it is and the time that it would take to do that kind of editorial work. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I had a friend compare it to having a, an acquaintance on Facebook who's a medical doctor and kind of messaging them in a private Facebook message to say, hey, I have this um, weird growth on <laughs> my leg. Could I just like kind of pick your brain and see what you might think about it? Like we would never go to kind of this professionally trained doctor mm. to check out our medical problems mm -hmm. <laughs> or just randomly send them medical questions. But I think when you're in more of a kind of a soft kind of profession, right. um, like editorial work, but maybe some kind of um, management consulting or d website design, you know, you're like providing this service that a lot of people are looking for. I think people just assume that they can basically have you do the work for free. Right. And I have on more than one occasion, you know, gone back to people and said, I'm happy to talk with you, but I want you to know these are my rates. Yeah. Um, I, I would do this work for you, but I do consider it work. I wouldn't consider it a favor. Yeah. And because it's work, um, here's what I typically charge for this kind of work. Yeah. And honestly, most of the time, the conversation doesn't go anywhere after that, mm -hmm. um, for better or worse. Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like, um, if, if someone is approaching you with, an, with a relational kind of mindset and then you remind them that, in fact, this is a transaction, mm -hmm. they feel burned. But I think it's, yeah, I just think it's inappropriate in general to ask to pick people's brains without being willing to put some kind of value, some kind of monetary value on the time and energy and expertise that that, that would require. Yeah, for real. I really appreciate that you are, I feel like both of these things are things that you wouldn't hear people talk about a lot. Like you don't hear it talked about as clearly that like, I'm getting asked to do free consulting work, you know, like what do I actually do? So that's, I think that's really helpful that you have kind of developed the plan and that you've navigated it in your own mind. Like it doesn't sound 
like you're as offended anymore. You just kind of <laughs> have have like figured out a category to put it in, and this is how you mm. handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, more of that growth that we yes. were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, awesome. Well, thank you, Caitlin. I really appreciate you uh, giving me this time to pick your brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will send you the invoice later. Yes, please do. No. <laughs> or if you need me to like endorse any of your work. Uh, yes, right. yes, so of course. Yes. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Caitlin and it made me realize that maybe I should reconsider calling or texting friends in the medical field when I have random questions um, because I have been guilty of that. Um, But for real, though, um, it was helpful to hear about how we need to be clear on our own motives for saying yes to something, being honest about our expectations, and then being able to say no when we recognize that there's a risk of our motives not aligning with reality. I know it's easier said than done, but I do hope that you learned a little bit today about how to stop feeling obligated to everyone who asks you to do something.